I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. We begin with perhaps my favorite review of My Son Hunter from a major magazine, which uh, certainly has not seen the movie, and yet they put out a review on it anyway. A Democrat politician will continue to get his salary while he stands trial for assassinating a journalist. Yes, this is really happening. A top Democrat has refused to debate the Republican who's actually beating her in a major governor's race, and Republicans have officially turned on big business. All of that and much more in the opening of the show. And then we speak to Harriet Hageman, who will presumably be the next congresswoman from Wyoming. She shellacked Liz Cheney in the Republican primary by nearly 40 points. She tells us why she won by so much why the January the 6th committee should be disbanded, and which bureaucratic agencies she would eliminate from Washington if she could. All that plus so much more in the show. Let's get into it. Sun Hunter movie is doing terrifically well, and it's all thanks to you guys. I, I'm just stunned by the amount of our media we're getting, and we're getting a, a pretty much universal praise from the right. There's been a couple of so-so um, uh, reviews, but for the most part, very, very, very positive from the right. Uh, I think that the left, as I mentioned last week, is split. Um, those who are writing unhinged reviews and those who are begrudgingly saying it's pretty good. Um, social media, it's gone very well. A lot of, of people talking about it. Um, and I think people are struck by the combination of how it's rooted in truth, but it is also hilarious and entertaining. Um, I did read a unhinged review that I did want to share with the audience yesterday from Los Angeles Magazine. And this one, I'm going to go through a couple of points just to show you what we're up against in conservative media and also how fun it is to see how unhinged our critics are. This is written by someone named Sarah Stewart. I've not looked into her background, um, but uh, maybe I should. But uh, she, the, the headline is, My Son Hunter is a mess, even for red meat propaganda. Do you think that the LA Magazine reviews a lot of red meat propaganda so that they have a, a firm basis of comparison where they can note that uh, this, is, this one's particularly bad even for the red meat propaganda that we watch every weekend. We love watching it, and this is bad for red meat propaganda. Okay, the uh, lead, the Biden smashing movie is reportedly too ham-fisted. Wait a minute, reportedly? Oh, so she hasn't watched it. So she's acknowledging she hasn't actually seen the movie that she's reviewing. Reportedly too ham-fisted, even for a shoddy, ultra-right-wing dream project starring no one. Well, stars Gina Carano. She's got a huge following. Stars Lawrence Fox, who comes from a legendary theater family. John James was on Dynasty. So I don't know how what starring no one means. Um, seems like a particularly good cast for a Rive Center movie. And also the... Uh, uh, it's an ultra-right-wing dream. What makes My Son Hunter more right-wing than any other right-wing movie. In fact, Robert Davi and Lawrence Fox made points to, first of all, humanize Hunter, and second of all, they don't play Joe Biden as a total moron, as he's often portrayed. Joe Biden's actually portrayed as more of a mafioso, more of a, more of a crime boss than as an idiot. 
All right, let's read from some of this. The Breitbart produced movie My Son Hunter about the president's wayward laptop. Uh, the wayward laptop losing Venice dwelling son is getting the kind of press that Kirk, a Kirk Cameron joint can only dream of. I guess that's kind of true. Kirk Cameron doesn't get as much press as we got. Positive attention for the flick is coming solely from right-wing stalwarts like the Daily Wire and Tucker Carlson. Not true. Daily Beast gave it kind of a somewhat positive review. Some other uh, left-wing uh, outlets have done the same. And the Daily Wire, they cite Christian Toto, who's been on this show, who gave it a lukewarm review. So Tucker Carlson's segment with Lawrence Fox was totally neutral. So this is not a true statement. She continues, while mainstream publications are mostly pointing and laughing. Okay, I don't think that's true either. I think that, and if they are, they're probably laughing at the jokes. Um, she doesn't cite any examples. They are no links. But then this is a movie aimed squarely at those who believe that as Dir director Robert Davi has said, the majority of the media is, quote, a third arm of the Marxist communist revolution in America, close quote. His film premiered last month at a star-studded Los Angeles event. If you consider Dean Cain and justified actor Nick Searcy stars and provided popcorn in bags labeled corn pop. Get it? Um, so she's, first of all, mocking people who have had more success in Hollywood than I assume she's had. And then talking about how the film is aimed only at right-wing media is just a lie also. It's, it's very clear if you've seen the movie, the media was made to entertain anyone. Primarily, they know right-wingers are going to see it, which is intelligent. Um, but the the but it is not only for right-wing media. Um, I want to I want to point out that the the most of the review is quoting from other reviews, indicating yet again that this reviewer hasn't actually even seen the movie, and they don't care. They're still going to write a hit piece on a movie they haven't seen, which is just so offensive. A movie that's out. So it's not like there's any reason you can't get it, but there's a movie that's out and then they're, they're, it's pretty clear that they haven't bothered to spend two hours or not even 90 minutes to watch a movie that's already out before they review it. So they put the story out there. This will presumably be in Los Angeles Magazine, certainly on their website. It's a pretty big publication out there. Um, but she does manage to quote from um, a... a from Tucker Carlson's interview, even though Tucker, I don't think had seen the movie with Lawrence Fox also. Um, and then the other thing that is portrayed here is this suggestion. Oh yeah. Um, let me see. This is so, so they also act as though we slandered in the movie Hunter and Joe, which is not true. Hunter and Joe are not slandered in the movie. They're treated in a way more fairly than they than they have been in most of conservative media. And this is the other thing that is intentionally being withheld from people who would potentially be left of center, uh, members of the audience who would want to see this thing. Is that the, the it is not designed just to be unfair to the Biden family members. And that's one thing that is a lie that I don't like. And it's part of why I'm bringing this up is because it doesn't that, that is an unfair attack. There's lots of unfair attacks and most of them are. But it's unfair to suggest that this was intentionally unfair. In fact, it portrays in some ways, probably for some of you in the audience, more frustrating because um, uh, I think you would want to see some some of you would want to see a dumber Joe and a more evil hunter. And that's not how it's portrayed at all.
So anyway, I don't need to, be, to to belabor this one that much, but it's just fun. It's fun to watch. Massive My Son Hunter banner flying in Minnesota, another one in Texas, another one in Wisconsin. It's it's become a movement. It's become more than just a movie. It's become a movement. So you go to mysonhunter.com to get it if you haven't got it yet. If you're having any tech issues, which you shouldn't at this point, but if you are, you can email me personally, alexandbrightbird.com. I'll make sure that you're reached out to. Uh, Google News has excluded any coverage of My Son Hunter. It's probably the biggest news website in the world, even though it's a, a, a collected by algorithms that are designed by left-wing radicals. But still, it is portraying Google, uh, uh, acting as though it doesn't exist. It's probably more intelligent if you're trying to stop it, but just wildly unfair. All of it's unfair. There is anyone who gives it a fair shot is going to be entertained and they're going to have a good time. So, but that's not the point. The point is to try to make it so that the conservative movement cannot build an ecosystem where conservative individuals don't have to spend all their money on evil Disney and evil Netflix, etc. They can spend it elsewhere for other people who would like to um, perhaps have other forms of entertainment other than just the stuff produced by people who, you know, want to groom your children and get uh, only Democrats elected, which seems pretty logical to me. But uh, the, this that's why there is a, a, a struggle to figure out how to stop it. Yeah, this was the line that I was thinking of that is she writes, predictably, my son Hunter leans into being as cruel as possible, particularly in its mockery of the president's speech. It's just totally false. And the person's not seen the movie to make this claim. If anything, Joe Biden's portrayed as smarter than some of you guys would like. That's it. Anyway, but it's fun. It's fun for me. I like to spot that stuff. It's enjoyable. Uh, because it shows how triggered and afraid the left is. Too afraid to even watch it. Why would someone be so afraid to watch a movie they're tasked with reviewing? All right. So, but I talk about this because you guys know what the biggest story of the day was yesterday. Trump went to his golf course in Virginia. Oh, did you see this? Did you see it? He went to his golf course. He showed up in Virginia in golf shoes and everyone speculated. You know what that meant? He was going to get arrested, but he had no arrest on his calendar yesterday. Instead, he had golf on his calendar. So everyone, uh, a lot of wild speculation. Trump was photographed at his Virginia golf course that he has that he used to play all the time while he was president and he was in his golf shoes, which I I get it. I'm a golfer. Most people put their golf shoes on in the locker room or in the parking lot. The parking lot's worse etiquette, but I admit that's what I'm, I'm known to do. Supposed to wait for the locker room, but he's president of the United States and he's got his private plane. So if he wants to wear his golf shoes, it's fine, right? I mean, it's a big deal. Um, but the NBC was noting that he was with a large group and appearing not to play golf, even though he's in his golf outfit and his golf spikes. And Eric Trump's there and he's got his golf outfit on and there's lots of guys look like they're ready to play some golf. So that's it. He's going down. And you know how I know? Got off his plane with golf shoes. It's the big stuff. The big stuff. All right. Other things are going on in the Washington Post is actually called for Pennsylvania Democrat John Fetterman to release his medical records. Uh, he really should. He's going to have to debate Dr. Oz. And we'll see how that goes. Someone pointed out, which was just insane online, that he wears this hoodie and that's part of his blue collar act. Recall Fetterman um, is has a degree from Harvard and lived off his parents into his mid 40s, as I've been uh, prone to note. 
and I'll repeat that mantra until people understand it. He's got this huge bulge in the back of his neck. So he looks just very unhealthy. He had the stroke, clearly hasn't recovered from it. He's not sure if he's going to Washington or uh, or New Jersey. And he clearly has no business being in the Senate. But the question is, is it so bad that uh, he should be kept out of it despite the fact that Dr. Oz is funky politics? Dr. Oz was on Boyle's show on Saturday, by the way. So uh, credit to him for coming on. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see how that race goes. Uh, but we've got a clip of Fetterman that I'm, I, I, I want to apply. I mean, it's just a brief one. Let's play cut one. Go ahead. My name is John Fetterman. So he changed his name. He's John Fetterman now. And this is one where I, I don't I don't hate it. I got to admit, this is the most likable thing he's done in a long time. But the thing is, for me, is that it I might see that joke getting made, but not in an earnest way. You can never tell if he's being earnest or not. Someone from his campaign actually thinks that's that's serious. Because recall, the Democrats have started saying a man, a woman or a man, a woman in the Congress, if there's ever um uh, an opportunity to do so. Something that's been percolating in left-wing circles for the last 15 years, saying amen, a woman, and now it's here. So now he's John Fetter woman. Uh, I just don't know if he knows what a woman is. So I would put maybe the X instead of an A or a Y instead of an A in, in woman, just to be sure. Because who's to say what a woman is? Um... So the so will will the that race continues to be fascinating to me for a number of reasons. Uh, I, other political stuff that's going on, we've got a fair bit of economic stuff that is at the forefront. The number one issue in the country right now is inflation. Uh, Biden has suggested that inflation is actually going fine. Uh, there's no problem with inflation. And he insists this because he can get away with it. And this is where he plays into his, I'm actually just a, a, a angry grandpa routine. Uh, do we have our angry grandpa clip, clip guys? Oh, let me know if, um, oh, did, did I not send that? Darn it. It looks like I didn't send it. That's annoying to me. It was a lead story, Breitbart.com. So it's good to kind of pop over there, Mr. Zach, throughout the day, every once in a while. But we had a clip of a Joe screaming um, about what's the matter with us, trying to give another blue collar speech that he was doing. And uh, he just does not want to talk about inflation. And he, even though it's the number one issue, he says we're on the right track, even though groceries keep rising. Um, John Carney, who he and I collaborate on the Breitbart Business Digest every day, we were discussing yesterday how there was a, there's a pretty persuasive case being made that we could be seeing inflation continue for quite a while. We could be very long ways off from seeing inflation completely shut down. And people have seen gas prices um, tick down to, you know, in California, it's down to five ninety nine or whatever it is. So now you can you can breathe easy because Joe's got things under control. We're not seeing seven dollar gas in some places. Now it's down in the in the five. He's got a five in front of it. Um, so now we can all feel comfortable, but not so not so fast. There's a lot of suggestion that we could be seeing inflation for a real sustained period of time. So Biden just announcing everything is fine. Just classic Biden. He gets away with it because he won't talk to the media. 
even to the media chagrin. They're sick of him not talking to them, but you know, they, they got him elected. Uh, how much whining can they realistically do? Because they, they, they got him elected and they wanted him to be elected. But he won't talk about inflation at this point. The good news, though, that I was looking at economically, which is, which is pretty unbelievable, is that the Republicans have totally turned on, uh, on, on uh, the, on corporatism. Uh, Ron DeSantis is a great, great quote that corporatism is not capitalism. Corporatism is not the f- same as free enterprise. And that is what he said yesterday in the speech, which is a great point. It's a point I've been making on the show for, for years, which is that there's a big difference between free market capitalism, which does solve a lot of problems, and what we're in now, which is, uh, which is corporatism, where corporations are get ahead by carving favorable deals with the government, sometimes not just the U.S. government, sometimes Chinese government. And so they're able to skirt rules that small businesses uh, have a harder time doing. And it, it makes it not a free market system. It makes it a system of arm twisting, cronyism, et cetera. And then these corporations are starting to impose woke values on us. So going through a survey that we featured in our Breitbart Business Digest, uh, that woke capitalism is really hurting the reputation of a lot of industries in the United States. And this is a positive development. Because people are getting the picture because most people in this audience, I think, are probably with me on this front, that the free market is far superior to any sort of Marxist command and control economy, socialism, et cetera. That said, we're not really living in a pure free market anymore. We're living in a place that is more cronyist and corporatist. And not to mention, buying stuff is good, having an economy is good, the alternative to being having ration stuff like you see in corporations um, is, I'm, I'm sorry, it, like, like you see in Marxist social society is, it, it, it's superior to be able to buy your own stuff, but that's a materialism is not good either. So the free market comes with a couple of real risk factors that eventually the most powerful companies end up currying favor with the government by buying them off, lobbying them, having a revolving door where they give six and seven figure jobs to people as they come in and out of government. And then of course, you've got the element of materialism, which isn't great anyway. It doesn't mean that, you know, hey, we love capitalism. It means you spend uh, all of your all of your money on luxury fashion and, um, you know, luxury restaurants. That stuff's supposed to be treats, it's not supposed to be, even if you got it to burn, it's not really a great use of money. You're supposed to invest it in other stuff that hopefully progresses the world further at least a lot of it. I mean, not so you can't have fun. I have fun. I'm a fun guy. But uh, the Republican Party has totally shifted, and the numbers are clear on this, and it's across industries, even sports, which I was heartened to see because what um, sports outlet isn't woke at this point? Steph Curry, who's one of the best players of the NBA, talking about how Donald Trump's a threat. How much money did he make while Donald Trump was president? $100 million? And that's probably just on-the-court stuff. He had a tough life. Steph Curry wins MVPs, championships, scratch golfer. Seems like he has a nice family. Yeah, but he's really suffering under Trump. I mean, Trump really made that guy suffer. Um, but Republicans have their opinion of just about every major industry now 
is negative when it comes to the the businesses. And I think this is important because think about what positive stuff are we getting out of the corporate world right now? Silicon Valley is the biggest industry now. They're the worst. Hollywood's still big, despite their fact that they're falling out of favor. Um, well, what nice stuff do you have to say about Wall Street? Not much. So what are the major industries that Republicans should champion? B- big sports? You guys like what the, the BLM NFL is doing? You guys like the uh, uh, anthem kneeling and the BLM on the court, the basketball games? No. Some of you guys still watch, though I don't. But you're not giving a positive review to this stuff. It doesn't feel as satisfying to take your family to a sporting event than it did a few years ago, does it? Of course not. So, and then it just seems like uh, businesses um, who have seen Republicans as reliable opponents of tax hikes for them don't like them as much. So hopefully businesses see this as this is a real risk for them. If half the country doesn't like them and some Democrats don't like them either, then it could mean that you could see a hike in corporate taxes, et cetera, which would make their lives more difficult. Um, I thought that was a big development and it is noteworthy how some of these biggest thing, some of the biggest things economically don't get discussed at all. All right. A few other uh, the political stuff. The Las Vegas Democrat who's accused of killing a journalist will continue to get his $130,000 salary while he's in jail. Hey, innocent until proven guilty. Even though, of course, he's the only suspect and was spotted at the scene. But uh, it's uh, we laugh so we don't cry. Clark County Public Administrator Robert Tellis, he makes over 10 grand uh, a month, and that, that won't get cut off while he's facing murder charge for a journalist. It's a climate of violence the Democrats have created. Pro-abortion activist Senator Catherine Cortez Masto has falsely called crisis pregnancy centers fake clinics. This is a left-wing myth that's online. I wrote about this in my Summer of Raid series where all of these uh, uh, clinics that seek to help mothers who are struggling, newborn babies, and to perhaps convince a few people not to abort their children and to keep them and at a minimum give them up for adoption, if not love them and raise them. Um, She calls them fake clinics, which is a left-wing narrative online that is rooted in nothing, literally a lie. And that's what it is like. The amount of delusion the pro-choice left does to themselves uh, is truly unbelievable. It is they have to convince themselves that their their policy when it comes to human life, which they know over time is going to go away. There's no way that we're going to continue. It's been such a brief moment in history that we've all accepted the limitless ability to scramble a baby's brains and vacuum it out as the Democrats have as their mainstream part of their platform. It's going to go away eventually. The more people think about it, the more science kicks in and the more you can hear a heartbeat after only a few weeks and see ultrasound pictures of what's clearly a human life in the womb after a few weeks. It's not reconcilable with reality, the Democrats position. So you're going to see a lot of defensive behavior. And this is what it is. The people who want to encourage women to actually have the children are going to be called fake clinics, which is sick. Kamala Harris has been really bad on this issue, but I'll save that for when Abby Johnson's on. Um, you might recall that the Democrats have declared that they are the one true champions 
of democracy and that we Republicans don't believe in it. But the same party has uh, are now uh, de- refusing to debate Republicans. Most noteworthy, Arizona Democrat Katie Hobbs is refusing to debate Republican Kerry Lake in Arizona. Lake is winning that race at the moment, but certainly not one where you want to be cocky about it because she's getting uh, hit very hard by Democrats. And it's sort of a purplish state, turning red, but purplish still. Hobbs seems like not a not not a nice person. And not say that there aren't a lot of Democrats that are out there that are probably perfectly nice. She doesn't uh, strike me that way. So, but she's been trying to not debate Carrie Lake, and then she's saying that she can't debate her because she's a conspiracy theorist or something. Um, but it's like pulling teeth get some Democrats to debate in some of these cases, which is, I understand sometimes there's a strategy to not debate. If you think you're winning by a lot, you don't want to legitimize your opponent or whatever. I understand it. I understand that if it's a tactic, but she's losing. So her debating, not debating Carrie Lake is not uh, a, a good strategy, you would think. But what it is for sure is anti-democratic. So, and this is part of the climate of violence and the climate of demonization and the climate of division the Democrats have created. One of the most popular stories we had yesterday at Breitbart was uh, from The View, ABC's Sonny Hostin saying that the U.S. has to be held accountable for white supremacy or we cannot unite as a country. So you got Biden screaming, what the hell is wrong with us? Arizona Democrat won't debate. Arizona Republicans actually beating her in a race. Uh, we got a mainstream host who's paid by, is, is the view ABC? Yeah, it's ABC, which is Disney, which makes a ton of money off China, thinks the biggest problem, the biggest threat facing us all is white supremacy. Someone who makes probably seven figures a year giving commentary for ABC Disney. Really oppressed. The white supremacy is really, really getting out of hand. Oh, she's a black woman, by the way, Sonny Houston. I think there is a uh, perhaps a little bit of an issue with Democrats' priority at this point in time. Two other ones. The UN has demanded the European nations do not return to fossil fuels, even though they're having an energy crisis. Um, there is a deep fear people are going to die this winter because they don't have enough access to um, energy, natural gas, et cetera, to heat their homes and keep their families alive. Because recall, as much as, you know, you probably don't love the idea of global warming if it's happening, global warming might actually have a small net benefit in the short to medium term. Not to say, I mean, we really want to all get flooded if you believe that, which of course I don't believe that's happening anytime in the remote future. But let's say it did, maybe wouldn't like that idea overall. But if it gets super cold, people die right away. So the bigger problem in human history, and we never think about this stuff, is people freezing to death in the winter. It's not a getting too toasty in the summer. That's not, that has not been the problem traditionally. The problem traditionally is people cannot stay warm and thus they die in the winter. And because Europe has done such a bad job managing their ability to get energy, they are gonna see a lot of that coming up this winter. They're gonna see a lot of people freezing and hopefully not people dying in the first world. But that is what a lot of the fear is happening with a massive fossil fuel shortage already happening, soaring energy prices, and perhaps additional shortages coming um, due to Russia reducing supplies of gas to Europe since its invasion of Ukraine. 
So this is still not stop the UN, the ultimate globalist, for saying, hey, but don't reverse what we're doing. Because they don't care about human life. They don't care if humans die, the UN. They care about whether or not the UN has enough power, can control people. And, um, you know, Mother Earth. But they don't even really care about Mother Earth that much also. So it's about controlling other human beings. And what is more powerful than watching human beings die and you announce to them, um, even though we can't help you by getting more oil out of the ground, for example. We're not going to do it because there's something more important than your life. It's our agenda. Um, last one, over 1,300 New York Times employees have pledged not to return to office. They're supposed to go back to a three-day work week. More than 1,300 journalists, that's a lot of journalists, I had no clue they're that many, are saying, hell no, they won't go, New York Post writes. They're in an increasingly bitter contract dispute between the News Guild journalists, which includes a lot of reporters, um, and also some other, the Times Tech Guild, and some others. People are livid. A some Tom Coffey, a 25-year veteran editor of the New York Times, said he added that they're being forced to return during a high inflationary period, which means workers will have to spend more money on gas, mass transit, clothing, and lunches, even though their salary has not been increased. Whoa. So you mean to say the New York Times is upset because of all the things that have happened under the Democrat leadership that they insist we all endure is making their lives more expensive. Do they lack this level of self-awareness or is this all just union talk to try to get a better, a better deal, get everyone a raise? That is just too much for me. So the New York Times backs every Democrat, every left-wing cause, uh, lies to you about the Hunter Biden laptop, lies to you about the Russian collusion hoax. Joe Biden gets in there. Kathy Hochul and Andrew uh, Cuomo, Eric Adams, all these Democrats who don't do a good job on the biggest stuff in life because they're left wingers. And then gas goes up, cost of transit goes up, cost of clothing goes up, cost of food goes up. And the New York Times whines about it because their salary has not gone up. That is awesome. It is the nature of being bubbled that you don't see how absurd that is. That how dare you send me back to lunch. Lunches are too expensive for me. I'm going to take a heroic stand. And I will work from home until the lunch prices go down. In Newsflash, the people who are in charge are not going to help you bring the stuff down. Just not. They have no idea how to do it and they don't care to do it. They want more. They want your life under control and you put them into power. New York Times. It's always interesting to get to know new up-and-coming Republican politicians because uh, so often you find that they were just the beneficiary of circumstances and were in the right place at the right time and maybe have a lot to learn about their own voter base and constituency and how the world works. And then 
Other times you find that a person is truly impressive and has a lot of clarity on ideas and how to fight the left and how to fight the establishment. Uh, you definitely get the latter in this interview with Harriet Hageman. Uh, incredibly impressive. I was uh, looking forward to talking to her for a couple weeks and uh, she did not disappoint, but don't take my word for it. Take a listen. Here she is, Harriet Hageman of Wyoming. Harriet, great to have you on the show with me. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> yeah, it's really good to talk to you, and there's a lot to get into, and I will start with the most obvious one, with not only did you win, but you won by 40 points, which is an insanely large margin. Uh, what do you attribute this overwhelming success to? Well, quite a few things. One was that Liz Cheney no longer represented Wyoming and made no bones about it. She didn't even pretend to come to Wyoming to actually care about our issues. She was very um, apparent throughout the country, in fact, that she had one goal and one goal only, and that is to destroy President Donald Trump. So that was the beginning and the end of her campaign in the middle as well. And the people of Wyoming want someone who's actually going to represent them, address their issues, and protect them from the out-of-control federal government. And so it really came down to what was the priority. My priority was Wyoming. Her priority was the destruction of President Trump. The Cheney family is almost synonymous with Wyoming, or at least that's how it's been portrayed to us non-Wyomingites uh, in the media throughout the last couple of decades in American life. Uh, uh, clearly, Wyoming disagrees at this point. Uh, do you think it was a quick change or do you think it was something that was kind of building over time and the rest of the country just sort of caught on recently? I would say it was building over time more than something that happened quickly. I think that they're synonymous with Wyoming because that's the persona that they've attempted to present and put forward. Right. But when you start going back and thinking about history, they've spent very little time in Wyoming. So in the late 60s through 78, Dick Cheney was in, the, it was in Washington, D.C. He was President Ford's chief of staff. He worked for think tanks back here. In 1978, he kind of did what his daughter did in 2016. He came back to Wyoming and he ran for Congress, and he was our congressman for 10 years. Then he became the Secretary of Defense under George H.W. Bush, and then thereafter he stayed. And, and then he was Vice President starting in the year 2000. And so he was there from two, in D.C. from 2000 to 2008, and then went to work for Halliburton. And well, yeah, working for Halliburton before then and then continued doing that kind of work afterwards. My point being that the Cheneys have not spent a lot of time in Wyoming, and perhaps that was the reason why they misread us so colossally in this particular race. They don't understand Wyoming. And, and I think that that's important for people to understand that history. Uh, it's another thing that they're synonymous with is sort of the military industrial complex and the war industry. Uh, and I lived in D.C. In the, inside the Beltway for eight or nine years, and I came as an outsider from California. I'd always lived in, in California, and I, I thought it was kind of a hoax that there's a military industrial complex. But you, when you get out there, you realize that the people, there's this revolving door uh, between consultants and between people in the defense industry and the government. And when they're in the government, they're not going to do anything that would withhold any funding to those massive industries that pay them lots of money when they're out of the government. It's just sort of one of these things where it sounds conspiratorial until you go out there and you realize, oh, yeah, that's how the whole town works. Uh, and, and the Cheneys are also a huge part of that. And it seems like the conservative movement in general has soured on this idea that we can fight every war and win every war all the time. Uh, this is a long preamble to my question. Uh, can you give me a sense of your and the audience, a sense of your foreign policy and uh, what you think are the biggest uh, threats to us geopolitically? and uh, what do you think the Congress's role in this? 
Well, absolutely. I think you really did hit the nail on the head. The fact is, is that um, I believe in the America First agenda. And I think that that was another reason why the Cheneys had such skepticism and dislike of Donald Trump, because he gave voice to those of us who were saying, wait a minute, why are we continuously going at war? What is this military industrial complex? How is it benefiting America? What is it doing? How much blood and treasure do we have to continue to expend around the world before we can actually start looking inward at the fact that in Baltimore, we've got seniors in high school who can't read when they graduate. Um, There are a lot of things that need to be fixed in the United States. And a lot of people, a lot of conservatives and Republicans are starting to say, when, when are we going to look inward and start spending our money here and addressing the problems that we have here in the United States? So in terms of foreign policy, I believe very strongly in protecting our borders. I believe very strongly in making sure that we are energy independent. I believe very strongly in protecting our food supply and our supply chain. I believe very strongly in protecting our domestic industries, our domestic uh, producers, if you will. And I think that what has happened, especially starting again, probably in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, we spent an awful lot of time looking outward. And I think that that's where the Cheneys are. I had an opportunity to visit with a general one day, and he talked about how he really struggled with Liz Cheney because she really disliked and fought against the America First agenda when President Trump was the president. I didn't know that as her constituent, as someone living in Wyoming. I wasn't aware that she didn't like that. But the military-industrial complex exists. It's worth billions and billions and billions of dollars. People make a lot of money off of the military-industrial complex. I think that Congress has got to start looking at our budget. We need to stop larding up these big, huge omnibus spending bills, uh, the NDAA, things like that, and start looking at ways in which we can spend, we can, we can budget smartly, while at the sta- same time making sure that we're taking care of the folks right here in the United States. Yeah, good point on the omnibus spending bills. This is my personal pet peeve about Washington, is that we feel like we must pass a trillion dollars spending all at the same time, largely yeah. unrelated stuff, uh, uh, truly offensive stuff. Uh, again, Harriet Hageman is with me running for Congress in Wyoming, and it's good to get to know you. Know, It's good for the audience to get to know some of your ideas and not just that you're the uh, Liz Cheney slayer, um, which is uh, you know not a bad thing to have on your resume, I, I have to say. Um, but the, the what do you think is, uh, the, the, I, I want to get a sense of what you think are the top priorities for people in Wyoming right now. Clearly, it's not January the 6th. Clearly, it's not, you know, impeaching Trump and convicting Trump. Uh, But what is it? Well, what do you think is on the hearts and minds of your constituency right now? There are three issues I heard over and over again. Obviously, open borders. We're scared to death at what is going on on our open borders. And we, we recognize that the current administration is an absolute disaster when it comes to protecting us from a foreign invasion, which is what we're seeing in terms of drugs, in terms of human trafficking, in terms of just the the hundreds of thousands and millions of people crossing that border. I come from the least populated state in the nation. We have 580,000 people in the state of Wyoming. We have double that crossing that border illegally right now uh, wow. on a yearly basis. And it is something that's, that's a metric that people need to understand why that would give someone from Wyoming pause as to what, what the real calamity is that that's going to cause. Uh, inflation. 
you know, the, the, the cost of energy, the cost of food. We all know that inflation has skyrocketed under this administration because of the horrible energy policy uh, policies, because of the fact that Pete Buttigieg is an absolute failure as the head of the Department of Transportation. Sure. Uh, what this administration done is, is empower people who have never accomplished anything in their lives other than be politicians and stand up and, and, and talk to people. And as a result, we don't have anybody who's actually been in business, who's actually created anything, who's actually signed the checks on the front of the uh, on the front rather than on the back. Um, and then the the other issue is energy. Um, and protecting our energy jobs. We're the largest coal producer in the nation. We're one of the top oil and gas producers. We have massive uranium reserves. Um, we need to protect our energy industries. And energy security is national security. We're seeing on an international stage what happens when you abdicate your responsibility as political leaders to making sure that people can heat their homes in the winter and cool them in the summer. Uh, it's interesting that Wyoming does seem to now appear to be a big vacation destination for people on the coast and not just it's becoming less of a secret red state haven to some degree. Uh, uh, do you think I'm overstating that? And if so, uh, what are your thoughts on what appears to be an influx of people, not all of whom necessarily share the values associated most commonly with Wyoming? Well, it's it's interesting that you say that. What I have seen as I've as I've campaigned for the last year is we have a lot of what I would refer to as lockdown refugees, lockdown state refugees. We have a lot of people who have moved to Wyoming from California, Oregon, and Washington because of the abject failure of their leaders in those states in addressing the COVID and their response to it. So those people are absolutely welcome in Wyoming. They're conservative. They recognize the problems when you've got a government that takes the kind of control that they did over the last two years. And I've been meeting some great people from, from mostly the West Coast who have moved to Wyoming. We do get a lot of tourism in Wyoming, no question. We have the Grand Tetons. We have Yellowstone National Park. We have some of the most beautiful areas anywhere in the country. I drove 40,000 miles around that state in the last wow. year, and it is a stunningly beautiful place to live. But we want people to recognize if you are coming to Wyoming, we also have a culture and we have our views of the world. And we have done a pretty doggone good job of, of not only taking care of Wyoming and taking care of our farms and ranches and our, and our environment and our water resources. We do a really good job in terms of, of the kinds of businesses that we have, the kind of businesses we've developed. Our education system is, is top notch. I'm very, very, very proud of what Wyoming is and what we've done. Uh, I welcome people to come to Wyoming. Um, it's a great state, great people, and I, I think people would enjoy it. Uh, it's, it's also noteworthy that your primary took place just about, I think it was a week after the raid of Mar-a-Lago. And I, I was trying to piece together how the polls were so far off. Is they, I think everyone kind of knew you were going to win, but I'm just stunned by this 40-point number. And I'm just stunned by how the polls really airballed it so badly. Were you surprised at all by this? And do you think that perhaps the, the, the FBI raid had something to do with it? You, again, are paying a lot of attention to Wyoming. You're probably going to have to move there after this conversation. I, I, if you don't think it hasn't crossed my mind, if you don't think it hasn't crossed my mind. <laughs> Uh, we were we were showing that I the polls were were showing me ahead at about thirty points. Uh, 
and I ended up beating her at 38. I believe absolutely the Mar-a-Lago raid had an impact on that because I think people realized, my goodness gracious, what in the world has happened? What kind of a third world country are we living in that they would do this? And the more information that we have found out as a constitutional attorney, that's what I am. The more we are finding out about what they're doing and and what they've done and why they did it and their effort to hide uh, the basis for that absolutely unprecedented move speaks volumes. So I do think that that had an impact because people in Wyoming pay a lot of attention and they knew instantly when that happened and people are absolutely incensed that this administration has gone as lawless as it has. The other thing is is that Liz Cheney continued to punch us in the nose over and over and over and over again. She never ever conceded that she needed to come back and talk to people from Wyoming. She got more and more aggressive in terms of attacking us uh, criticizing us. Uh, she was extremely disdainful of us. And I think that the late breakers, I think the people who were undecided near the end, they broke from me because they just recognized she wasn't doing anything for Wyoming and really made it very loud and clear she had no intention of doing anything for Wyoming. Uh, and I'm, I think this number is so significant that 38 points or 40 points ever turned out to be because it just does feel like she would like to run for president somehow. And I think that just the fact that it was such an overwhelming defeat, I think really does hurt her case, even though obviously she's not really trying to appeal to people, let's say in my audience, uh, but it just it just seems like a such a colossal embarrassment. It's got to have a lasting uh, effect, I think, long term, which is a good thing, in my opinion. Harriet Hageman, again, is with me, who is running for the congressional seat in Wyoming and uh, should should, you know, you don't want to get too cocky, but uh, it should be it should be pretty automatic at this point. Uh, one more question on this sort of line of questioning, then I want to turn to what your focus would be in the Congress, uh, assuming you get there. Uh, what do you think of the January the 6th committee? Do you think it should be disbanded or do you see any merit in it at this point? I think it's a terrible abuse of power. I think that it was from the very moment that they decided that, that when Nancy Pelosi and Liz Cheney made the decision that they were going to decide who could be on it, it lost all credibility for anybody who has a lick of sense in the rest of the country. It was clearly a setup. And the other thing that became obvious to those of us in Wyoming was Liz Cheney became incapable of criticizing this administration or Nancy Pelosi because she was so closely aligned with them on January 6th. She couldn't talk about the inflation. She couldn't talk about the war on our fossil fuels. She couldn't talk about the failures of, mm. of, these, of the Democrats because she was aligned with them. And as a result, she threw Wyoming under the bus. And that's what happens when you align yourselves with the opposing party. It's the height of arrogance when you that you can actually work for two parties at the same time, which is what Liz Cheney has been doing. So the the, the, uh, committee itself, in my opinion, is absolutely illegitimate. From the standpoint of finding out what happened on January 6th, release 14,000 hours of videotape. Show us who was involved. Give us information about Ray Epps. Tell us who else was there who may have been uh, aligned with Antifa uh, or other organizations that were lo- that were working with the federal government. There's a lot of ans- questions that need to be answered. They're focusing on the wrong thing because their only goal is to destroy President Trump. It's not to find out the truth. Yeah, I think that's the correct analysis. It's not even that there's there might not be something that we could learn about if they were conducting this in an above board way, but they're not. They're picking and choosing where the focus is and the focus shouldn't be on this stuff anyway. We should be looking forward and seeing what our problems are now and in the future. Instead, we're just looking back, which is just so exasperating. But let's talk about when you get to Washington, what do you want to do first? 
Well, I don't. I think that the absolute key to our ability to succeed in taking our country back is that Congress has got to step up and actually actually legislate. For the last 30 to 40 years, Congress has largely abdicated its responsibility in legislating and turned that role over to unelected bureaucrats and administrative agencies. As a trial attorney, I've been practicing law for over 30 years, and a lot of the cases I handle are cases against the federal government. When I say the federal government, I mean the agencies. EPA, EPA, USDA, Fish and Wildlife Service, Forest Service, BLM, all of these these various agencies who are making life-changing legislative decisions, and they are completely unaccountable to the electorate in this country. So for me, my primary agenda is going to be making sure that Congress takes back its responsibility of legislating, and we substantially reduce the budgeting and funding for these administrative agencies so that we can get back to the separation of power and we can actually make sure that our elected officials are accountable to us for the decisions that they make. I've been doing that as an attorney for many, many, many years. I'm going to continue that agenda because I actually believe it's the most important way we get our republic back. What are the agencies that you think are wildly overcapitalized at this point? Which ones would you target first? EPA, Department of Transportation, Department of Commerce, Department of Education. Department of Education is one of the most destructive agencies that's ever been created in the history of the United States. And what they're doing right now with their Title IX regulations is just absolutely beyond the pale. The Department of Education has destroyed the education system in this country, and we have got to return education to the states where it belongs. We need to get the bureaucrats out of it. Uh, We're spending billions upon billions on hundreds of billions of dollars across this country and our scores and our education outcomes continue to go down. And every bit of it is tied to 1980 with the creation of the Department of Education. It has to be one of our biggest targets. But the EPA, the EPA has the power to go out and uh, enforce what it is that the bureaucrats want with the threat of things like $59,000 a day in penalties. If you don't do what they what, what the EPA wants you to do, you can look me up. You can see the kinds of lawsuits I've handled against the EPA. It's a very very abusive agency. It's not about protecting the environment. It's about land and water control. And I've been fighting those for years. So there's there's a lot of different agencies, but the but there are over 400 agencies. But the fact is they should not be legislating through rulemaking or informal guidance. All of the legislating should be done by Congress. Uh, I think that you, you you definitely hit my favorite too, which is the the part of education, the EPA. I think those could those those could go, and I think the country could only be better off for it. And, you, and uh, also another the rest of your list pretty solid too, which I like. And I think it's about getting your colleagues on board with some of this stuff because it feels like people who. Uh, I have observed Washington from afar, have seen the destructive nature of these agencies, and yet we haven't, uh, there's such little progress that's made. It seems like they only get additional funding. So do you have a strategy or a plan, or uh, how do we convince more people who are in Washington that it is time to start rolling back some of these things or cutting them off completely? It shouldn't be automatic that we have a Department of Education. They failed us so badly over the last two years. They're now hyped up this trans hysteria we're in, and they let the school stay closed when the, the kids were uh, we're better off in school than out of school during the pandemic. It just seems like how many mistakes can they make before we cut the funding off? 
So one of the things that I have been doing throughout my campaign is I have been reaching out to people here in Washington, D.C., who have the ability to help us move forward with this agenda. So I've been reaching out to a variety of Congress members already that I have been building relationships. And from the very first moment that I meet them, I talk to them about this being the priority and why it has to be. So many of them understand it, but they don't understand it to the level that I do. I've been traveling the country for 15 years giving a speech called Regulation Without Representation. And I have done a very deep dive into what has happened, where this came from, where it exploded, really where it got completely out of control. It started in the late 1930s. We all know it was under Roosevelt, but it was really in the late 90s. The, the 1970s were a rough period with these agencies, but starting under the Clinton administration was where he could not get his agenda through after 1994, and the agencies just ran with it at that point. So um, I've got the, the information, the background, the experience, the knowledge. Uh, the expertise, and I have made clear in, in talking with the colleagues the opportunities I've taken in that regard is this really is the key to getting us back on track. We've got $32 trillion in debt. We've got an absolute out-of-control uh, executive branch that is doing things that none of us agree with. None of us agree with. And yet it is succeeding because we have allowed the administrative agencies to wield the power. The legislative branch has the ability to, to, to rein them in. And I really do think that this is the key. You can go back to any of the issues that are troublesome to us, whether, again, it's the broken supply chain. It's what happened with our energy independence. And what it all comes back to is a federal agency saying, no, you're not going to do that. We're going to make you do something else. It isn't for the government to intentionally increase the cost of food, housing, and energy, yet we have an administration right now that that is their goal. The government, we do, don't work for the government. The government works for us. We have to take the power away from these people before they turn us into a third world country. Here at Hageman, if people want to support you, where should they go? HagemanforWyoming.com. Any donations that anyone can provide, go there, look at my writings, look at the information that I have put out, uh, the cases that I've handled, HagemanforWyoming.com. I would so appreciate any support that all of you can give me, and I'm really looking forward on taking on these battles. Breitbart's been doing it. You guys have been exposing stuff for a long time. You can't be in this alone. There, we need an army to be able to do it. I'm fist pumping right now. People, that's not very good radio, but I am, and I really appreciate the shout out. And uh, thanks a lot, and congrats on, on the big win. I think you gave a lot of people a lot of joy, and uh, looking forward to November. Thank you so much. That's today's show. Thanks a lot to Zach and Greg Eben for putting everything together. And to all of you who went to mysonhunter.com, I can't thank you enough. Download the movie. You can send me an email at alexbrightport.com. Let me know what you thought. All good. And sharing our content on the social web is helpful as well. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. <laughs>